4. We're going to make our way to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to begin that journey by way of Acts chapter 1. So uh, I hope that you will join me this morning. I don't know about you, my mind is a little distracted as I begin to preach this morning. So let's go to Lord in prayer, okay? Lord Jesus, we come to you today recognizing that you're the giver of life. We also recognize that your word is holy, it's inspired, it has everything we need, Lord, to tell us who you are, and you, you through the power of the Holy Spirit, make that known. So my prayer is right now that you would cleanse my heart. I pray that the distractions in this, in this uh, time together, Lord, you would just uh, put a, a hedge of protection around every mind and every heart this morning as we open the word of God. So we thank you for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was alerted to a post that has just been put out by DeMar Hamlin. DeMar Hamlin was the injured ball player for the Bills. Monday night football, the world saw it. Uh, Everyone was in shock, praying that God would deliver him, that God would spare his life, and that he would be a, a tool for the glory of God. And in his, uh, really his first time uh, personal words, here's what he says. What happened to me on Monday, Monday night football, I feel is an example of what God can do with a vessel. I want to be a vessel God can use. Now, brothers and sisters, who would think that God would use the NFL for his glory? And you might be sitting here today and, and think that, that you have all the skills that should bless anybody's life. And I want to tell you that God can put us on a shelf in a heartbeat. But anybody who's willing to surrender and say, use me, Lord, would you use me, help me, teach me, God's got something to work with. You might be here today and you say, Brother Greg, I've blown it. I've made, something, I've made a decision in my life. If I could go back, if I could just go back and redo it, I would never do it again. I'm telling you, according to the potter, I believe in Jeremiah, he can make it again. He can redo it. And what God redoes is better than anything we can come up with. So this morning, we've been, we've been in a series on prayer. To our guests, we've been in a series on prayer. We're asking God to make us a powerhouse of prayer. I mean, when Jesus got to Jerusalem, the first place he went to church, the synagogue, and immediately he recognizes something's wrong. Uh, they, they were acting like it was part of every other day. Business had taken over worship. And he says, you've made my house a den of thieves. My house is to be a house of prayer. And boy, wouldn't it be a blessing for First Camden to have a testimony that God is turning us into a house of prayer. Well, DeMar Hamlin's testimony is that he wants to be a vessel. And when we look at the book of Acts, it really is a testimony to the power of God. It is a testimony to the power of God. So we're going to take a little walk. Beginning in Acts 1, we're going to get to Acts chapter 4 pretty quickly. But Acts chapter 1 really is a testimony. Luke, the writer, in verse 1 says, 
The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You see, the book of Acts begins with the testimony of a resurrected Christ. And the testimony that Luke says and that Luke pens is, he lives. He lives. And brothers and sisters, when you think about your salvation, don't, get stop, don't stop at the cross and just talk about it being finished. Recognize that Jesus was buried and that he rose from the grave. And how dare us just emphasize the resurrection around Easter. Every time we come together as the body of Christ, we ought to be thanking the Lord for the cross. We ought to be thanking the Lord that the tomb is empty. We ought to be thanking the Lord that we have hope as we leave this place, knowing that the world has fallen apart, but Jesus is the same, amen? He is in control of everything that happens. Now, in this book of Acts and the testimony, he also gives instruction. The word of God gives us instruction and he says, promise that you will stay in Jerusalem. Look at verse 8. You're very familiar with it. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay? I want you to write the word down, what? What? The what is the power. The what is the power. I want you to write the word who. The power is provided by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to write the word where. It would be Jerusalem. It would be Jerusalem. Now, look at the following two verses, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Verses 9 through 11 assure us of his ascension to heaven and a promise. And the promise is that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Friends, where did we stop anticipating the return of Christ? We live our life and make plans as if he doesn't even control things. Many of you have watched the news in Memphis, the heartbreaking news in Memphis. How can that happen in America? But I'm gonna tell you that some bad Police officers don't define the entire nation of faithful law enforcement officers. Just as a bad pastor doesn't uh, define every pastor in America or a bad church experience. Maybe you're here today and you've just had a bad church experience. Most of us have. Most of us have. But that doesn't define everybody. But thank the Lord for his promises. 
that when Jesus rose from the grave, he went to heaven, and the Bible says he's coming again. And I want you to understand something this morning. Just because he hasn't come yet, and just because we see the world in a spiral that seems out of control, we ought to thank God for his mercy. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering. He's long-suffering toward us. He's long-suffering toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, when it comes to the mercy of God, uh, we can claim it and recognize that God has a plan, and that's part of your testimony as a believer. So what do they do? In the book of Acts, we move to chapter 2. They wait uh, on the Lord in Jerusalem. Matthias is picked to replace Judas. And in chapter 2, 50 days after Passover, the promised spirit comes. Now, it's a remarkable, miraculous sign that God gives. Look at verse 3 and 4. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, as Baptists, don't get nervous about these verses. As Baptists, don't get shaken up about these verses. We can all agree that this is a divine miracle of God. And here's what we also understand this passage to mean. Miraculously, those present from different areas begin to recognize their own native language. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Look at me, look at me. God speaks your language. God speaks your language. I, I look back at some of the old VHS tapes that Renee and I have of Drew, our firstborn. Remember, the firstborn gets all the video. The firstborn causes parents, first-time parents, to go to click camera and spend $1,400 on a camcorder that's about as big as a pizza box. I'm, I'm feeling a little lonely right now, parents. Somebody say amen. And then you have the middle one born, and they get a few snapshots and things like that. Mark Lowry said the third one comes, and they're lucky to get their footprint on the birth certificate. But I remember watching those old videos. Now, you guys, go with me. Dads, go with me. Dave, I remember I would hear myself talking baby talk to Drew. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that big boy. Oh, yeah. I'd get up high. I'd talk high. And now I look back at it and, and I, I say two things. Did I really say that like that and did I really look like that? <laughs> Folks, listen to me. God speaks your language. You might be here today and, and you feel like you're just running from God. God's aware of that. He'll track you down. Why? Because he speaks your language. Now, young people, make no mistake. I know what you think. Brother Greg's not cool. 
but I try to speak your language, don't I, Daniel? Can I use you? Okay, Kim, come here. I'm gonna use Daniel. Okay, so they're leaving after church. I speak their language. I don't look like them anymore, but I speak their language. So I'll say, Daniel, good to see you, and then what do I do? Bring it in. Bring it in. Thanks, buddy. God knows, listen, God knows what will get your attention. And Sandy Talby, it's good to see you back. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Um, you'll say, well, Brother Greg, I haven't heard God in a long time. I haven't heard God speak to me in a long time. I think that would be one of the most heartbreaking things in this building today. Maybe you feel like, boy, when I come to church, I'm not getting it like I used to. Well, I can assure you of something. The same word of God's being preached and God hasn't moved. And sometimes I think it's us. You know, uh, Lord, help me not to worry about everybody else. Just help me be the man of God, the woman of God you've called me to be. You know, we sang that song there, holiness is what I long for. It says righteousness is what I long for in that song. Right, my righteousness is in Jesus Christ. And yours is too if you're a believer. He's made you as a believer what he wants you to be and he will bring you to the point of what he wants you to do. He has what you need. So God speaks our language. That's what you see at Pentecost. Now, there's an interesting response to what is seen. For instance, verse 7, chapter 2. If you're with me, say amen. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then verse 12 says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? And others mocking said, They are full of new wine. I want to paraphrase that. They are drunk. That's why they're acting so crazy. Oh, man, Peter, Peter was all over that. Oh, it's not the kind of wine you're talking about. Uh, it's like the greater vision in their song. It's that new wine, the kind that makes you smile all the time. I heard about it just a little while ago. And ever since I did, I can't let this happy feeling flow or go. It's that new wine. It's the Holy Spirit of God. They mocked it. Make sure you understand something. In your Christian life, you will be mocked. You'll be mocked. Remember the boy who would come to the ball or the basketball court or the baseball diamond, and he would be the guy that brought the ball? And when he left, the ball left. Are you with me? I heard about somebody got mad at their church and said, I'm taking the piano back we donated 50 years ago. That's the little boy at the ball field. Folks, listen. Life is too short to juggle. Life is too short just to survive. There's a... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm scanning the crowd. I think you all remember this song, Gloria Gaynor. 
Oh, no, not I. I will survive. There's this little alien guy singing that song, and, and he's really starting to get into the beat, and it's just about ready to happen, and all of a sudden, the disco ball falls on him and squishes him. That's the way life is when we try to survive. And the Holy Spirit comes to breathe life into the Christian, and guess what? Into the church, Acts chapter two. And the church explodes. Peter preaches the message at Pentecost. I love the fact that God lets Peter preach the message at Pentecost. Why? Because he blew it. He denied Jesus three times on the way to the cross. Upon his resurrection, Jesus hunts him down on the seashore and asks him three times if he loves him. And he lets him preach this powerful message. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. What is the message? Verse 38. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you this morning that when you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, when you surrender your life to Christ, when you repent, when you turn of your sins, turn from your sin, the Holy Spirit comes to abide in your life. Here's the good news about the Holy Spirit. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, Jeannie. He'll walk with you every step of the way. Now, now listen to me, and we'll just spend a minute on it. Many would say, I claim Acts 2.38 as proof you have to be baptized to be saved. There's a key phrase, a key connector in this verse. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Here it is, for. You circle that word for and begin to do a little background on it. It can mean because of. You're baptized because you have given your life to Christ. You're baptized following salvation. Folks, nowhere else in Scripture does it even uh, come together to the point of somehow the water makes you a Christian. Now, I want to ask you a question sitting in this room today. If you are a Christian and you've never been baptized, here's my question. Why not? I'm, I'm afraid of water, Brother Greg. I, we understand that. But to my knowledge, in the church is over 70 plus years, we've never lost anybody in the baptistry. We'll take care of you. We'll help you. Don't be afraid of that. Let it be an opportunity for you to say, this is my story. This is my testimony. So the church is born and explodes with supernatural results. 3,000 were added. How would you like to deal with those logistics? Someone sitting in my seat. You know, we pray for revival, but to tell you the truth, if it costs me something, I'm not sure I'm in. Folks, I'm telling you, in America, we are so spoiled when it comes to the church. There are people that huddle together in the darkness because they don't want anybody to see any source of light that could point somebody to a Bible study underground where their lives are on the line. That's paying the price. So we get to chapter 3. A lame man is healed. He had been lame from his mother's womb. Peter and John are on their way to worship, and he's asking for alms. He's begging. 
for help. How do you respond when someone begs or if someone's asking for money or maybe we, you know, we use the word panhandling? How, how, do you, how do you respond? Do you just ignore them, don't even look at them? Sometimes do you roll the window down and, and give them something and then drive away and wonder if you got took? Or do you give someone something and just say, leave the rest to God, let him handle whatever the need is? We'll, we'll err on the side of grace and kindness. Listen to what Peter and John go through. He sees Peter and John, verse three, about to go into the temple, and he asks for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter says, look at us. Look at us. You know, a lot of times in humility, you can't even raise your head. You're ashamed to look at somebody in the eye. He gives them his attention, and they said, verse six, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, he found something that day that was life-changing, much more eternal than a dollar bill. His life was forever changed. Verse seven, and he took him by the right hand, lifted him up immediately, his feet and ankle received strength. Verse eight, so he leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now, chapter four. The first four verses. Now, as they spoke, the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So in a very short time, the multiplication of believers has just swelled. God is on the move. Let me tell you what was bothering this religious group. The Bible says it was the resurrection, teaching about the resurrection. And brothers and sisters, how important is the resurrection to your faith and my faith? Mark your Bible here, and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Yes, we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Now go back to Acts. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying the resurrection means everything. It means everything. 
You don't go to the, uh, Jerusalem and, and look at a tomb where Jesus has been sealed. You go to an empty tomb. And brothers and sisters, that empty tomb is the key of the Christian life. Jesus is alive. He's alive. The resurrection of Christ meant everything. Now, we've been praying, and we've been preaching, and we've been asking God to show us how to be a powerhouse of prayer. I hope that your prayer life is not regulated to the dinner table. I pray that your prayer life is more than uttering a few words when you get in a jam. I pray that prayer becomes part of your life, just as natural as you getting up in the morning. Verse 13, chapter 4. They've addressed this Sanhedrin, this Jewish council of 71 members. I mean, they're in front of the theological best. And here's what was said of them. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. What a testimony that would be for us to leave today and say we've been with Jesus. I want to tell you this morning that there's no book, there's no seminary class, there's no formal education that will answer that for you. God wants to look into the depths of your heart and my heart, and ashamedly many times I know he's not pleased with what he sees in my heart. But thank the Lord, it's his power. It's, it's Jesus who wants glorified, not the world, not your talent, not your gift set, not your belongings. You can use those things to brag on Jesus. But we're living in a day and a time where the world needs to see men and women who've been with the Lord. Remember? He goes into the temple. My house shall be called a house of prayer. You're doing everything else but that. Everything else looks good on the radar. Sometimes I hear politicians get on uh, the news and talk about what a great job they're doing, and I'm thinking, are we living in the same country? Well, what about Jesus looking at us? What about Jesus looking at us? The Bible says uh, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, but Peter and John were not satisfied right there because when you look down a little lower, look at verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? 
The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, verse 29, look on their threats and grant to your servants, to us, that with all boldness the word may be spoken. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And the Bible says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I wanna give you just a few things this morning to take home with you. Here's the first. When God moves, how do we respond? First of all, when God moves, you can't argue with a changed life. You can't argue with a changed life. A changed life should be just as clear as a man who's been healed of being lame. You see it. You see it in the way they live. You see it in the places they go. You see it in the way they talk. This morning when you came to church, if you lived around neighbors, most likely your neighbors saw you backing out that don't go to church and probably realized you were going to church. They see you living your life, that worship's an important thing for you, that it's a priority in your life. I like what some of these guys will put on Saturday night. They'll say, uh, Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. How do you prepare for Sunday morning. Well, number one, you, you plan to be here, right? I lay my clothes out. I lay my clothes out. Renee will say, put your shirt out you're gonna wear and I'll have it ready for you. And I get everything out because I realize that Satan does his best work on Sunday morning. Anybody wanna say amen? There's a story about a preacher in Oklahoma named Bobby Moore and big mega church. Stephanie, it's good to see you and we pray for Harold. Bobby Moore's office overlooked the parking lot so he could see people coming to church pulling in. And he said it was amazing for him to watch families get out of the car. Mom and dad going, you know, boom, 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 dragging kids, you know, untucked shirts, trying to get everybody ready between the car and the front door. And he said oftentimes he thought, Lord, use me this morning as a, a vehicle to help some of these families. And he would see them coming. He would run down to the lobby and greet them at the door. And he said it was amazing what he saw happen in the parking lot. And good morning, Brother Bobby. Hey, Satan does his best work on Sunday morning. He'll try to discourage you from not coming. We'll say we're going to stay home because we have a little cough. Folks, I'm not for bringing sickness to church. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to shut down every time we have a little cough. Back in the day, you had a cold in the winter. It's, I, it's, it's quiet up here right now, I can tell you that. But listen, listen, or, oh, I just don't think I can make it to church. I, I remember Drew used to pull that on me. And then, Monday come, Sydney, gotta get up early for school. Gotta work, 60 hours this week. I wanna remind you, you would not even have a job have it not be for the grace of God. Amen? 
I realize I'm, I'm, I, I don't deserve to be your pastor. I thank God I am. Only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. So why don't we just quit acting like we've got it all together and we're, and we're just, it's just us. It's just about us, God. No, let me tell you something. We're all needy. He is holy. He's the provider. Give him thanks. Thank him in the good times and thank him in the bad times. Pray for your kids when they're little. Pray for your kids when they're married. Don't let up. Make sure you understand that Jesus loved the church. If he loved the church, then I should love what Jesus loves. Maybe you're, maybe you're watching or maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, Brother Greg, you do not have to go to church to, to, to love Jesus. I don't, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is Jesus loved the church. Then why would I think that I could live a, a stronger Christian life by just alienating myself from other believers? No, let me tell you, we need each other. We need each other. Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means when you absolutely have nothing to offer God. I was at Walmart Friday, mistake. I always call Renee at work. I'm at Walmart. Do we need anything? Well, we need milk and bread, two of the staples for survival. I said, well, we got milk. I, I got that. It's in the other fridge. She goes, then get bread. I went, and, and all I bought was bread, one loaf of bread. You know why I only bought one loaf? It's not all there was, Ryan. Hey, I only bought one loaf, the same reason I don't buy yellow bananas or green bananas. I'm looking forward to Jesus coming. To die with a loaf of bread that hadn't even been opened in the, the pantry? I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Hey, you can't argue with a changed life. Lame man. Don't let people argue about your life, your Christianity. Live it. Show them what Jesus looks like. The second thing there is, you can't explain it away when God does change a life. You can't explain it away. That's what I love about seeing celebrities and athletes get in front of a camera and talk about their faith. Years ago, Tim Tebow was raked over the coals for not doing anything wrong. Not pressuring anybody to, to be a Christian like him. He just shares his story wherever he goes. You see, the power of God has no match. It has no rival. And when you look in Acts chapter four and you see what God does, um, even, even uh, back up to 17, but so it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. And from now on, they speak to no man in this name. And their answer is found in 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. But we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You can't argue with the changed life. But there's also something else that you see in this passage. When Peter and John are confronted with a religious crowd. Number two, when God moves, don't let somebody else steal your joy. Don't let somebody else steal your joy. Don't let the crowd set the pace of your commitment. You be the man or woman God's called you to be. Uh, I can tell you this morning, the devil wants to train wreck your life. He wants to train wreck your marriage. He wants to train wreck your family, your relationships. He wants you out of church. He wants you to think that you're accountable to nobody. 
But when I think of a train wreck and I think of a devil, I also think of a shipwreck. In a train wreck, there's always injury, most often, many times death, trauma. Others can be affected. But oftentimes in a shipwreck, if the devil wants to shipwreck your life, he can make you think that you're all alone. I saw a clip this week of a, a man who was spearfishing in the ocean, got caught by an under, undercurrent, and somehow drifted miles away from everybody else before they recognized he was lost. His mother found out about it, and within hours, she had her dad and his boat in the ocean searching for a needle in a haystack, her son. And guess who she found? Her son. Folks, I'm here to tell you this morning, shipwrecks can make you feel like you're all alone. That you're all alone. Nobody cares, nobody sees. My situation is hopeless and it can lead to isolation. When God moves, don't let somebody else steal your joy. Here's another thing. When God moves, it may not be my timetable. It may not be my time frame. So I get aggravated. Take things into my own hands. Start making a mess of things, trying to fix it. I'm not the biggest uh, mechanic in the church. You all know that. I can remember one time I had a little Toyota and uh, somebody at work told me exactly what to do, and I went down to the auto parts store and bought the part. He said, Greg, you can't mess this up. And went home and opened the hood and did exactly what he said and started to tighten up that part, and as I tightened it, I just snapped it right in half. Has anybody ever done something like that? I thought, what am I gonna do? I can't face that parts guy again. You know what I did? I, I'm ashamed to tell you this. I taped it back. Okay, left field didn't get that. Ken, I taped an automotive part back and then shut the hood in denial. Are you with me? That's not even broke. You can't do that when it comes to the things of God. You've got to let him be the fixer. You've got to let him be the fixer. You see, when God moves, don't let somebody else rob you of the joy that's yours. Recognize that God's timetable may be different than mine. And then lastly, and we're done, when God moves, surrender to him. Surrender means I give up, okay. Okay, I surrender. And then embrace it. Embrace the movement of God. Blackaby says when God moves, go after him. When God moves, go where he's working. When God moves, adjust your life to get in on what God's doing. And I love the fact that Blackley says adjust your life. Quit trying to fix everybody else. Adjust your life. What did they do? They prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness. They didn't quit. And I'm asking you this morning to ask God for boldness as you share your story, as you share your testimony, and then leave the results up to God. You see, boldness will come from a personal relationship with Christ. First of all, you gotta know him. I'd like to say everybody here, Sunday morning service is a born-again Christian. Maybe you're not, and that's okay. Man, the great thing is you're here today. 
And here's what you need to know, that God loves you. He loves you more than anything. And he died for you. He died in your place, my place. And he willingly offers salvation to anybody who comes and says, yes, Lord. Do you need him today? If, if, if you do, today's your day. It comes from a personal relationship and power comes from a private prayer life. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.